Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. Nate Langson here. Uh, just one small apology in advance of today's show. We had a problem with our microphone on my end this week, so I've had to revert to my backup recording at least for my side of the the uh, the episode uh, this time around so it doesn't affect our guest and uh, and things but hopefully you'll get used to it in enough time for it not to be annoying it's a really good show i think this week so sorry that the uh, the sound quality for me is not so good hopefully we'll be fixed in time for next week you're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. If you're one of our patrons, uh, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. But if you're not yet a patron, would like to support us and get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, please do head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And hello to everybody in our chat room listening to us live. Got a good crowd um, here today. Now, we uh, we have a good crowd listening live. We are Sans Morris this week uh, because he's up in the north of England. Uh, but instead, we have our occasional co-host, Mr. Andrew Hoyle from CNET. Hello, Andy. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well. But of course, we all know that. Um, so thanks for joining us this week. We're going to start by jumping in to the wonderful world of electric scooters. That is because US electric scooter giant Bird has begun a limited, very limited trial of its service in London, a city where the use of scooters on public roads is illegal. Uh, this is according to... Um, me, writing for Bloomberg this week. Bird's pilot, pilot, pilot even, won't fall foul of the law, however, because the scooters themselves are only going to be available for use on private land, specifically, actually, for one very specific journey along a predetermined route of about a mile between Stratford Station in East, uh, in East London and the co-working space campus uh, here east, which is actually where Bird's office is located. And the scooters themselves are going to be restricted by GPS, so if a rider deviates from the prescribed route, the electric motor will shut down and uh, and stop. The journey is going to cost a pound to unlock uh, to begin with, and then 20 pence per minute. And a spokesman for the company did say that Bird hoped the initiative would help demonstrate the benefit uh, these kind of scooters will bring to cities more broadly, which definitely answers the point they're doing this as a bit of a PR stunt, but one they're kind of aware of. Um, Andy, this is obviously good news for me, a scooter user. You are mm -hmm. a little bit more sceptical, I believe. Um, no, I, I, I was. I mean, so I, I have two elements to this. One is um, the fact that I, I still think that seeing um, adults riding around on scooters looks ridiculous. When I see you going around and turning up to things on a scooter, I'll be honest, I, I am still one of the people that thinks it looks a little bit daft. And that is coming from someone who used to ride a micro scooter a lot when I was younger and would love as an adult to ride one i just don't really feel like i can however i did recently spend um a bit of time in paris and i didn't realize that since the last time i'd went electric scooters are now just everywhere and there there are these schemes in place all over the city and there were loads of people on them and they are a great way to get around a city and i think they are um certainly something that we will hopefully see a lot more of in london and 
maybe when we do, maybe I'll get one and I'll apologise to you for those cruel things I said. Stephen Huxtable asked if they're legal in Paris. Yes, they are. They're actually legal in many places across Europe, but not in London. Uh, And part of the reason they're not legal in London is actually because of some legislation that dates back to the early 1800s called the the UK Highways Act, which which massively restricts what you can and can't use on uh, on public roads. Um, So what is the problem with them being on public roads then? Well, part of the issue is that in order to, the, the kind of vehicles that they are fall under a, a category where they need tax license, uh, a driving license and insurance. And But unfortunately, because of also the kind of vehicles they are, you aren't able to get them taxed or get a license for them. So it sort of exists in so this... You, you can't get that. Because I was yeah. thinking of a, like a stupid world in which someone buys like a £200 electric scooter and then has to try and attach a registration plate onto the back and have to have insurance and a, li- and, a, and a specific license for that, which obviously would be ridiculous. But I'm sure that some people would do that. It's quite possible, but it wouldn't. It, it, you wouldn't get the license in the first place. And, and Will Head actually in the chat room points out something interesting, which is that one-wheeled electric vehicles are legal because the legislation itself only covers two wheels or more. And that's true. But also what's interesting is that you can get away with this if you are on a like a, a mobility scooter that is legal you can use those on the pavements you can't use those on the road but it's it's it, the, the entire law essentially needs a rewrite in order to support electric scooters in london it does it's it seems like it's one of those real archaic things that that they're just clinging to for what i can only see is is no real reason i don't know why um, the government is being this stubborn well, about that, it. Well, it's, so, it's not so much that they're being stubborn. It's just that there are priorities and certain things are taking precedent at the moment. Uh, and, and sure, but they they have, are, they're, they're trying really hard to figure out ways of making London less congested and make it easy for people to get around. They're spending a lot of money on um are on new train lines and different bus schemes and all this all this kind of thing so it it just seems like this should be a priority sort of getting more people off the roads in terms of cars and and allowing for more um uh eco-friendly public transport systems i mean we've had boris bikes or the santander bikes now for for many years um but it seems bonkers that they haven't addressed this it's it's completely true. It's it's just a matter of priorities, you know. And and let's not forget that there are several different disciplines of of, of the law, if you like, in 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 the conversation because you've got the department for transport uh which obviously governs the uk you've then got tfl which is the transport regulator in in the city there are lots of different boxes that need to be checked and right now with everything from uber having to go to trial over it's over its license and we've got brexit coming down the pipe as well you know having an electric scooter sort of public debate i think it's just pretty low on the ladder of priorities but I think it will change. And, and this is part of the reason why I know Bird is doing this. And it's one of the very few sort of PR moves that I actually support. Um, because the whole idea is that they want people to see how this can be used, why it's beneficial, things like that. And I do think that the more attention that that gets, as long as people are sensible on them, that's arguably a good thing. Because the ultimate goal for all of these companies is to uh, is to reduce pollution and to get cars off the road as well as obviously make a ton of money but that's that's sort of comes with all forms of business really um one interesting point i think as well that uh, that luke raised in the in the chat room is why they're not being used inside large buildings like hospitals and actually they completely could be the law only applies to public roads so there's absolutely no reason why large buildings campuses things like that 
couldn't do this. And certainly a lot of the trials that have happened across Europe have seen companies like Bird and Lime and others actually partnering with universities as a form of getting around large campuses. So that is already happening. I know of a lot of um, uh, sort of big production facilities and stuff that do just have lots of these um, either bikes or scooters or both in some instances where it's not a it's not a rideshare paid thing. They they just like get dumped everywhere because then someone can just pick one up and and take it to the next place just within there. But that that's that's not a scheme. That's just we just bought 100 scooters for our employees to use. Yeah, exactly. Well, any thoughts on this issue, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. I'm actually going to be over at this site for a completely unrelated reason on Tuesday and fully intend on taking one of these scooters just to see uh, what all the fuss is about in the bird world, which does, of course, Can I just ask? Yes. Before we move on... um, that actually seems like quite a lot of money, the 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 journey. And uh, 20 pence a minute, so only five minutes, and that's another pound. Like that, that For a scooter, that seems like a lot of money. Not really. You're only going to be – the journey is only a, a, a mile. So. Yeah, that, that one specific journey. But that if, if that is a if that, if that is a model that they would follow for, you know, if all of London was allowed, you know, if they sort of change the law and you can go anywhere, then that suddenly is a lot of money because your journeys will be a lot more than that. And then you're talking about getting into potentially between five and ten pounds for one journey, which is a lot of money. Uh, I think you're underestimating two things. Number one, these things are very quick. They're door to door. And have you taken a black cab anytime recently? You're going to pay an awful lot more than that to take a black cab to those destinations. If you take a bus, you might pay less, but then you're also standing around waiting for a bus and it'll take more time. So no, yeah, I, Uber I, though would be would be cheaper, and also um, I took um, uh, City Mappers bus for the first time the other day, and I got across London in the middle of rush hour for three pounds, um, and it was very nice. Options, Andy. Options. That's the that's the, that's the thing here. Options. Um, if you have any thoughts similar to Andy's, uh, or if you have an opinion that is correct, also send that into hello at techpodcast.uk. You're listening to Text Message with Nate Langson. Do you have someone sitting next to you? Yes? Why not tell them about the show? You never know. Your new best friend and our newest listener could be just an awkward conversation away. Staying semi on the topic of scooters, but broadening it out slightly, like uh, like some spread on a nice piece of toast. I just ate some toast. Um, so did I. China's Xiaomi has entered the UK market, and Xiaomi, for those who aren't aware, is the world's fourth biggest maker of mobile phones, and it is launching a smartphone, three smartphones in fact, a fitness tracking wristband and its electric scooter. It's actually opening a shop in the Westfield branch, uh, the the Shepherd's Bush Westfield branch uh, shopping centre here in London, which also has an Apple store and a bunch of other things. And it's already got a presence in Western Europe as well, I think in Spain, Italy, maybe France, not sure about Germany. which is interesting for, for Xiaomi because it's, it's a brand that if you're in China and India, you're probably fairly familiar with. It's quite good at releasing um, quite high-performing devices, but at a fraction of the cost of uh, what you'd pay from Samsung or Apple. Uh, but the fact that it's also moving into the retail st- space straight away with the store is, is quite good. Now, uh, a couple of things about the products itself. Its main phone or the flagship phone for the UK is going to be the My 8 
Pro. This starts at £499. I had a look up on uh, on CNET for some details about this. It's got a dual 12 megapixel camera, or rather it has two 12 megapixel cameras, a 6.2 inch AMOLED screen. It's got an in-display fingerprint sensor and it runs on a Snapdragon 845 chip. It's a it's an Android device. So it's it's a pretty well kitted out piece of technology and the, um, the, the CNET write-up that I saw said that this is probably the most compelling iPhone 10 challenger and uh, at £499 it's also half the price. Um, before we talk a little bit about other stuff that it's doing, Andy, are you familiar at, at all with Xiaomi? Yes, familiar enough. What do you? What's what's your general take? Because you're you're more in this gadget world than I am these days. I'm curious. Yeah, so I mean, they are a decent phone company. Like they 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 are obviously uh, fourth in the world. Well, that's just by volume, and 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 some of these larger Chinese firms can really sort of churn them out. So it's not that difficult to sort of claim one of those high production um, slots. Um, the phones typically have. They haven't had a lot of innovation of their own. There has been a lot of sort of borrowing from things that other companies have done. Um, and as a result, their phones are like decent and come with a lower price. And that is something that is becoming more and more of an issue as flagship phones, particularly um, like the iPhones, um, are a thousand pounds or more. Um, more and more people are looking towards cheap but good um phones that's why oneplus for example has been doing so well so it is interesting that we have now got another um challenger here in the uk as you said they've been in europe already and they've been in india where they've done very well where again price is very much an issue for people so i think it's going to be interesting to see how they actually operate here I sometimes wonder whether the names are going to be a bit of a roadblock. You know, for companies like this, a lot of the ability to grab market share comes predominantly from marketing. And you've got companies like Apple and Samsung that already have great brand awareness, but they've also got a gigantic back pocket full of cash to spend on marketing. Whereas companies like Huawei and and Xiaomi, firstly, a lot of people don't even know how to pronounce those names. And so they've got a really, uh, uh, you know, quite a big challenge, I think, to, to get that you know that kind of brand awareness that that would be essential here but definitely on their side is is the is the price and you know assuming they can get into bed with some uh, some retailers then that that could work quite nicely yeah I, I believe three is going to be going to be stocking um them at launch um I cor- do correct me if i'm wrong but i, I fairly certain i'm seeing a, a press release about that i got that which too. is which is interesting because i met with xiaomi about three or four months ago before they were before they had planned this and we, we chatted about kind of what they would need to do to succeed um in the uk and as you say that one of the things they need to do is absolutely partner with a network because um it's it it's different in the uk that the majority of people still get their phones through networks it's, it's less often that people will just spend that money up front and buy the phone so having a physical store it with a network where you can go in and look at the phone and see it and then buy it on contract um would make all the difference not saying that they took my advice completely and ran with it but they also definitely did. <laughs> well, uh, Stephen Huxtable has shared a, a photograph of the Mi 8 Pro in the Discord, and I have to say that is probably the most iPhone 10 lookalike device yeah. I've seen today. I mean, it's basically identical, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, yeah. They, they, as I said before, they don't have a lot of design innovation let's say they have some interesting tech that gets put in there but it's typically not even the sort of 
text that you haven't seen already on other phones, in-screen fingerprint scanners we've just seen launched on the OnePlus 6T, we've just seen it on the Huawei Mate 20 Pro. Um, so it's not it's not really pushing the boundaries, but then you're not paying the sort of money for boundaries to be pushed. Uh, no. uh, it is what we say, £500 um, for the kit that's in that is a really good phone. And if you don't really care about... The brand that you've got, you don't care about having um, something that's completely original. You just want something that's great and affordable. Then this is obviously a solid option. Well, if anybody does uh, go out and pick one up, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. I'm arguably much more interested in Xiaomi's electric scooter, which is also going to be sold at the uh, Westfield Centre. I am going to be trying one of those out at some point in the near future. But of course, not on a public road because re previous story, totes illegs. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Andy, more than 7,000 people say they still watch TV in black and white in the UK, and that is half a century after colour broadcasts began. London has the most TV licences for black and white sets at 1,768, followed by 431 in the West Midlands and 390 in Greater Manchester. This is according to figures released by the TV licensing body this week. The total number is 7,161 UK households, which uh, apparently are failing to start watching in colour despite the transmissions beginning in the 1960s. Um, The number has dropped quite considerably, Andy, over the last 18 years. It was 212,000, so just under a quarter of a million in the year 2000. In fact, there was almost one licence per person for every year since the year zero. The question, of course, is why? And I think that the, 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 the gut answer is either hipsters or old people. I have another theory, and I believe that the licensing body releasing these uh, figures also has another theory. And here's the theory. The cost of a black and white television license is £50. That's rather than £150. That's a third, um, or rather two-thirds more, than the colour license. You also don't need to prove that you're using a black and white TV set or not, and it's basically impossible for for the licensing body to check that. So we are possibly looking at 7,000 people who are simply saying they have a black and white TV, whereas actually they have a 65-inch 4K TV that supports Dolby Vision. You don't need to prove you have a black and white light TV. No. That, I, that is, that, considering how militant the licensing body is with everything else that is bonkers like i remember when i um was a when i was a student and i i didn't have a tv and so i and i and i kept getting these letters saying you are breaking the law by not having a license and i sort of and i kept calling them up and saying i do not have one was like we will be sending a um agent round to check this and we never did they just kept on sending these letters like um, we catch X number of people a year not having using a TV without a license is a crime. They basically assumed 
I was lying. That was the that their, their sort of assumption was, yeah, you obviously have a TV. Everyone has a TV. You are obviously lying. Um, and we're going to come and check. And they never did come and check. And I just got really, really annoyed at kind of the attitude. So the fact that they don't even check this when it, it, we all assume, and even they assume, that people are lying in order to get a cheaper license seems bonkers because they are so hardcore on the rest of it. I think that there may be exceptions where they they maybe do try and do a spot check, but it, it's they've even said publicly that it's it's basically impossible for them to tell. You know, it's based on trust. What would this um, if you had a color TV, but you only watched it in black and white? Would that count? Uh, no. Right. In the same way, then, as like if you said, you know, you have a TV, but you like I have a TV, but it's not hooked up to an aerial. So theoretically, I could also, if I never watched a BBC service, then I in theoretically wouldn't need to pay the license fee. But that isn't the case. Obviously, yeah, I mean, legally, legally, that isn't the case. But you could argue that. I think. That, I mean, I do remember once buying a television in or a, a TV receiver box in Argos many, many years ago, and I remember that the the uh, the lady made me write the postcode down for some reason because that gets sent to the TV licensing body. Um, mm. And Stephen Huxtable in the chat room says, when you buy a new TV, you get sent a reminder from the licensed people. So I, I do I do think there's that. Um, John Evans asks, can they tell you if you're streaming iPlayer? Yes, because you have to sign in to iPlayer now. So they make you they make you log in. Um, and um, but but here's the other thing. I mean, so no, you can't just use a television on on black and white necessarily uh, legally, but you can buy black and white TVs. Still, it is totally possible to totally adhere to this law i had a look on ebay this morning i found the cheapest black and white tv that i found for sale on ebay in working order was seven pounds today with can they can they get the can they receive the the, the stream though can well, they receive that because didn't that, we didn't we switch over we did switch over yeah and so there are there are a number of ways that you could probably work around that if you if you're capable of wiring stuff up in in your house but in terms of being able to buy them you still can you know, that still can be done. Um, and then obviously the TV license itself costs you about £50. So you're looking at a fully legal way of watching television for just under 60 quid. Yeah, in black and white. In black and white, yeah. I mean, it made Countryfy look a bit more arty, but I'm not sure I'd really want to watch everything in black and white. Yeah, and I mean, Stephen Huxtable asked, does it have Netflix? No, uh, it doesn't. It was made in 1970, this particular model that I was looking at. Uh, but, you know, if you're if you're the kind of like-minded person that wants to wire something up, you know, have a com- an analog converter box, then you probably could. And if you're a hipster in East London, I'm sure you already have. But that's the that's the way of things. So interesting, whether it is uh, people who are just still using a dated old TV, I'm sure that's the case, or whether it's people that are just simply paying it in order to get around the license fee restriction, then who knows. But if you are one of those people on either side of the camp, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. With Andy on the show, I wanted to talk about something briefly uh, that was relevant to his specific interests this week, and I was having a think about it, and the topic that I came up with was that Andy's been taking days off work, uh, with his company's permission, of course, to play Red Dead Redemption 2. I, on the other hand, haven't bothered even buying it in the first place and was playing a five-year-old game on my iPad instead called Life is Strange, which I have now decided is 
almost certainly in the top five games I have ever played in my entire life. And that's not just on iPad. I mean, all games I've ever played, such did I adore that game. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a question first, Andy. Was mm. was slash is Red Dead Redemption 2 worth all the hype that it's been getting now you've had a chance to play through it all? I think so, yeah. I think it's amazing. Um, and I haven't even played the first one. I, I came into Red Dead on the second one, having been told how much I will like the Red Dead uh, games. Um, I was a I was a big fan of uh, Grand Theft Auto V, um, so that the, whole, the, the mechanics are similar. And yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. It is immense. The storyline is gripping. Uh, no spoilers here, don't worry. Um, the, the scenery is fantastic. It is a slow pace, as everyone says, in that it takes forever to get around. Um, so it's not like you can very quickly just quickly jump between missions. Um, it's a game that you really need to kind of settle down and relax into, which is why I had... Um, uh, a Friday and Monday off work and had a whole weekend playing um, along with my 12-hour slow-cooked beef chilli, which was delicious, by the way. So it so it is worth the hype. I mean, what is it that's really getting people so excited about this game? I mean, aside from the fact that it's a Rockstar game and, and we know that Rockstar games are, you know, some of the biggest, most detailed games in the world. I mean, is that is that enough or is there something, is there some special source that, that's making all the difference here? I think it's a bit of everything. It is, as you say, it's just, it's huge and very, very detailed. There's so much different stuff you can do. Um, so it really feels like you're living in this world. And whether you, whether you engage with the main storyline or you go and do <laughs> I'm sorry, something I have to, else. I'm, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you. I don't know if this is relevant or just a very bizarre non sequitur, but John Evans in the chat room just wrote horse testicles. Horse testicles. Yeah. Now I know there's a lot of horses in Red Dead. Is that um, a, is that yeah, relevant? Horse, horse testicles are there, and um, I haven't particularly noticed this, but apparently when you go into cold areas, the testicles will get smaller. Um, so okay. that, that that's the sort of detail that they are putting in there. But that, it is it's hugely detailed. Everything is important there in the game. And as I was saying before, whether you engage with the main storyline or whether you go and do something else, there is so much to do. You, so you really feel immersed in the whole world that they've built, and it, and it looks amazing. Um, the the characters are all really engaging and extremely well voiced and extremely well written. So it is just, it's it's one of those things where again Rockstar have come together, and I believe this is the first time that that all of their global offices have worked on the same game at the same time, which isn't something they've done before, but something like two thousand rockstar team members globally have come together to build this game and you can tell because of the level of detail that's in it now i mean on my side of the fence then and, and certainly i've got nothing against red dead redemption 2 i do intend to play it and i did love the first one I, I i did play the first game but i i started i decided to play life is strange after reading a couple of interesting articles about it and i had a, a couple of long flights last week and i downloaded it and i could say that a lot of the uh, a lot of what you said about Red Dead Redemption, I think, could easily apply to Life is Strange. And just to explain what the, the game is, it's a um, quite a, a very narrative-driven adventure game. There's no combat, really. Um, some people describe it as a, as a glorified walking simulator, but it's basically a story that's somewhere sitting between, like, the X-Files and a high school drama and um, and even to a certain extent, maybe even you know, I, I was going to say Grand Theft Auto. It's not. I, I'm only saying that because there's 
there are some people who get shot in it and there's a drug dealer but um but essentially you're walking around this beautiful this beautiful world it's incredibly well voiced as you described the world there's so much to explore in the world in 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 how the story unfolds you really choose how much of the of the story and backstory you want to engage in um i cried twice playing through it um i was in a hotel room with uh with with my friend lexi and i sh- i was telling her about the game she asked a um she asked her to have a, a quick look at it and we were playing it for the best part of an hour because within an hour she was so hooked she had to see something and there was something that happened about halfway through that that you could feel your heart skip a beat such was the emotional shock of, of a storyline twist that that happened she's now had yeah. to play it she's recommended four of her friends to play it i'm um, kate's my wife's going to start playing it again soon. And to me, you know, that's what makes gaming brilliant is that depth of characters, of characterization, of of world, of emotional connection, that ability to move you. And I had that playing it. This wasn't even on my new 11-inch iPad. This was on my previous first-generation iPad Pro. And it, it was released in 2014 originally. So we're not talking about cutting-edge um, stuff, although it does look beautiful. And I had this a very similar feeling as you may have done with Red Dead Redemption 2. And so that's, to me, it's, it's wonderful that we can talk about high-end gaming. We can talk about 2,000 developers working for years making a game. But at the same time, I feel that it's still totally possible uh, and important not to ignore the fact that you can get a very similar emotional feeling maybe from um, from older tech and from, you know, from, from titles that don't rely on horse testicles. Yeah, of course. Um, but again, like it comes down to having really, really great writing. And the thing I, I really kind of found of Life is Strange is that it it felt more like I was engaging with um, a, a very intense drama rather than playing a game. It often didn't. I often kind of, in a way, forgot I was playing a game because it's so storyline driven. Whereas Red Dead, you are playing a game. You are playing a character in a universe um, and you can choose to go out and do something else in this open world. Whereas Life is Strange um it's 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 not an open world you know you go from scene to scene um and and follow the storyline obviously you make your your own your own choices some ex- extremely difficult choices on occasions but um you uh you you basically what am i trying to say here you make your own choices going along but it's not an open it's not an, it's not open-ended in the way that red dead is yeah and, and and one of the things that i love most is how consequential a lot of the choices that you have to make you know there are many instances in the game where you have to make a binary choice some of them you can change at the time um because of a storyline mechanic that that i won't spoil but there are a, there are many at the end of each of these chapters in the game you get to see how your choices compared to the average choices made by other players around the world and on several occasions there are sort of I would say maybe two or three massive plot points that I can't see how the story could end the same way without having happened that it turns out didn't have to happen. And so I now want to play and will be playing through the game again and taking the opposite choices on some key moments, knowing how my previous version ended in order to see if that makes a difference. And that's just such mm. a such a compelling uh, piece of piece of gaming um there's one bit in particular that i um i, I was playing through with my girlfriend katie and as uh, as sort of she made one decision i googled what would happen if we'd taken the other because i thought oh, well i don't understand how this would have happened um i imagine so, we're talking about the same 
the same Al- al- almost certainly yeah i, I um, i'm we'll, we'll talk about that uh offline to save from any spoilers but but i also wonder and john evans say, says in the chat room ah yes that bit so i imagine we're all talking about the same thing um but uh well let us know any thoughts you have i mean we, we had this discussion because i like to explore the the full realms of gaming and whether we should always just be caught up with the absolute latest greatest and cutting edge but let us know if you have any similar experiences playing an older game that you think maybe moved you more than the cutting edge you know all singing all dancing game but also of course if you have any alternatives to uh, life is strange do let me know because i'm now in the market and i'm not playing life is strange 2 until all the new chapters are out so you can save that email if you've been affected by any of the issues on this week's program please feel free to tell us about them using hello at techpodcast.uk. If you've not been affected, someone reading iTunes reviews might have. Nothing says, issue solved, like a five-star rating. One email that I wanted to get through uh, to this week, it was addressed to Ian and Nate, but Ian isn't here, so uh, this is now being retroactively addressed to Andy and Nate. Just listening to, This comes from Dan, incidentally. Just listening to your podcast. Hey, Dan. And you mentioned listeners' personal experience with tech, so I thought I'd share something I've been trying recently. Downgrading. I started the trial of trying to cut back on apps, tech, and try and work out which tech works for me, which I've just added to my tech toolbox without thinking. I looked at what I most use and stripped back everything, then began to add back in what is needed, starting with a full phone wipe to a full restore. After after a day, I found I needed email, WhatsApp, and music. Luckily, two of these are default apps. I found that not having Slack, Facebook, or Reddit apps actually meant I was less eager to switch between one task and another. I was, uh, I think it was the wealth of possibilities that my phone offered that meant I was constantly jumping from one app to another. I did similar with my laptop and stopped carrying it everywhere I went, making clear times I was going to be on and offline. To help with this, I did something I never thought I would do again. I got an MP3 player, a Sony one with no internet and no apps. This drastically reduced my phone use. I loaded it up with my CD rips and find myself listening to full albums again. Spotify would mean I was constantly listening to odd tracks uh, and keep trying to listen to new bands. I now use Spotify at work or home and then buy the album for a proper listen. With Netflix, I stopped binging shows and picked series to watch over a few weeks, meaning one, I have space to enjoy the show, and two, I'm not stuck in front of a TV or watching on the go, and making sure every night to have a a completely no screen time, no laptop, no phone, or anything. I switched my smartwatch back to to a normal one and haven't missed alerts or the constant ability to be reached. Now, I'm not saying I'll be downgraded forever, but it's made me evaluate what tech is useful and maybe spending the time to find out how I should be using it rather than getting swept up. Since trying this, I've fallen back in love with the tech that adds more to my life and excited by what other gadgets and services are out there. By seeing how I need tech to fit in around me and not how I fit my life around tech, I've become more curious and interested to seek out smaller bits of technology that solve little problems rather than catch-all devices. Very interesting, I think, Dan. I think that's a good way of doing it as well. Start with nothing and add back in what you need. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's a really good way of working because I think it's so easy, particularly... Both me and you, Nate, and I'm sure most of the listeners of the podcast, they're obviously into tech, like that's exciting for them. So it's very easy to kind of default to the idea of, oh, here's a new thing, let's get it and put it in the house and it replaces something else. But I think stripping that back and thinking, well, what do you really need? Um, even on, if, if we take away, you know, the uh, uh, sort of almost like the mental health aspects of, of wellness and not being too switched on all the time like just simply having less clutter in your house because 
it's very easy to have sort of multiple devices doing the same thing. I'm just looking over at my TV and I've got Roku, I've got Apple TV, there's a PS4, there's an Xbox One, um, there's an Amazon Fire Stick under there somewhere. Like there's all these things and they're all basically giving me access to the same things, but I don't need them all. And I think uh, I would like to be able to do the same. I'm still constantly tempted by the idea of moving my phone to one of those new retro Nokia's. But the thing I'd miss the most is is the camera on the on yeah. on, on the phone. Like that's the number one thing that I I couldn't. I don't think I could go without. And I think that's you could a, just carry a camera. I could, but then I have to carry a camera. Yeah, I I try and I, I think it's it's very very good to be um, to be conscious of how much you're using a phone if you're one of those people that on an evening can be having something on tv but still your eyes never leave your phone you're switching between uh, refreshing twitter and instagram and other things that is not a healthy way to live um and i think it's it's important to remember to switch off not to just be constantly glued to a phone screen which i know is something that you've pointed out to me before and it is something that in the past certainly the past year more so the past couple of years is something i've become um, a lot more aware of and believe i have a much better balance because of it and i only use now the tools that i actually need and i do have a good shut-off point where i stop using those things on an evening but also i think more importantly than that is that i remember when you were glued to your phone finding the solvent to get you unstuck was incredibly difficult yeah like, yeah, it, it, it's something I had to want to do, and at the time I didn't want to do it. And until I realized how, how damaging it was being um, for me, um, just adding on to stress and anxiety by constantly being bombarded with things all the time, um, when I realized that was becoming a problem, that's when I knew I had to make some um, make some changes. Yeah. And I did, and I've, nev- and I've never looked back. Well, text message keeps you informed about the British tech landscape. Let's check in with our good friend at Daily Tech News Show, Tom Merritt in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of technology over the last week. Hey, thanks. This week on Daily Tech News Show, why screen time might not have an effect on the sleep of your children. China's state broadcaster launches a virtual anchor. Identification by the way you walk. Yes, even people from the Ministry of Silly Walks can be identified. And electric pickup trucks. They're almost a thing. Tim Stevens will tell us why. All that and more on Daily Tech News Show. Back to you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you to our patrons supporting us every week. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions of each week's show, plus listen and interact with us as we record live, as many people have been doing today. It's been fantastic fun. Head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Help us finish the month with one more patron than we had last month. Please, oh please, it would be wonderful. We had a fantastic and quite lengthy discussion actually today on the Patreon edition about, um, about tablet computing, about the new iPad Pros, about how Andy should consider moving to a Microsoft Surface for his professional photo editing uh, duties. Um, that's available now on our Patreon feed if you um, if you ch- want to tune in and, uh, and give that a listen. Um, and that's about it. Andy, thank you very much for joining us this week. Give people Thanks a- for having me. Pleasure. Give people a sh- uh, some in- insight. Where can they find you? Where do you where do you live? Find me with at BatteryHQ, either on Twitter or preferably Instagram, because that's where I spend most of my time now. Um, professionally, you can find my work on CNET.com, um, which is where you should be going for all your tech news anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you do the CNET UK podcast, which I, I always... also do the CNET UK podcast, which um, an episode should have gone out this morning. So if you want some more of me, if this hasn't been enough, 
you can go to the scene at uk podcast and find some more marvelous um all podcasts uh, sorry all feedback hello at tech podcast at uk and please do if you're listening um in whether to our free feed or on our patreon version do give us a review on itunes it really does massively help and as we try and point out every week is equally valuable to supporting us financially because that is what helps people discover the show in the first place so thank you to everybody for leaving us reviews there and listening and supporting in whatever way you can and on that note which i believe was a um I think it was a C C-sharp. sharp. Was it? Yeah, I thought C sharp <laughs> as well. Uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Text Message with your host, Nate Langson. If you get value from the show, please consider joining our many supporters on Patreon. You can get access to a version of the show every week with no ads and as much as 40% more discussion every time. There's no obligation, so why not try a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech or looking for the link in this episode's description. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.